Welcome to Ask Andy featuring Andrew Redleaf. Ask Andy is sponsored by Park State Bank. Visit www.parkstatebank.com for all your banking needs. Today I want to talk a little bit about what's going on in the banking sector, regional banks and in particular. It's a little bit unusual for one of my podcasts in that this is something I actually know a fair amount about. And I would start by putting my two cents of effort into correcting a widespread public perception which is just wrong on both the left and the right. You hear rhetoric that bankers took a whole bunch of unwarranted risk and now they're getting bailed out. This, in my considered opinion, is wrong on both counts. First of all, at least what's happened so far and is likely to be the ongoing script, it's depositors that have been reassured. At this point, we don't know if they've in fact been bailed out. It may turn out to be the case that yes, some funds from the bank insurance funds go to what were technically uninsured depositors at closed institutions. But it's also distinctly possible that bank assets completely cover all depositors. And bank shareholders and bank bondholders in the failed banks are certainly not getting any sort of a bailout. It's clear that Silicon Valley Bank shareholders will be wiped out. And that's, you know, sort of $20 billion of equity vanished. Taxpayers, the government, etc., are not going to put shareholders back in the position that they were. Now, it is true that Silicon Valley Bank and the mid-sized banking sector more generally had somewhat more interest rate risk than both the market perceived and perhaps than was prudent. But a public perception that in a wholesale way banks were taking stupid risks is wrong. And in fact, to the extent that banks were fueling unwarranted speculation. It was unwarranted speculation by the U.S. government. In terms of what ought to happen, I think the widespread public perception and exploitation by both politicians from the left and from the right, the widespread acceptance of the notion that sort of any policy amounts to bailing bankers out for uh, wild risk-taking and speculation is actually an obstacle to what ought to happen. And it shouldn't be the case that mid-sized businesses are required to be bank analysts and are required to determine the soundness of their bank's banking practices or to have the extra expense of splitting up their banking into $250,000 chunks. To the extent that the banking system is central to the payment system 
and the payment system requires float people to you know hold money against payments they'll have to make in the future and uh, in the event of receipts being delayed that system should be fully insured and covered it is a corollary of that of course is that bank risk taking needs to be regulated and controlled both in terms of required capital and permitted risk taking i would add further that um, really since 08 but in spades in 2020 uh, government policy loaded the banks with deposits mostly of very short-term duration and one should ask before one condemns the private bankers what it is exactly that they were supposed to do with that money realizing if they match funded it if in fact for all their short-term deposits they only bought AAA short-term assets they would be losing money and eventually if you're losing money eventually you do go broke so if the bankers did that which in hindsight might be the suggestion they in fact would go broke slowly so it is the nature of a banking system and really a function that we expect and need for banks to both take a little bit of credit risk and further a little bit of duration risk you know the classic borrowing short and lending long and in this case a lot of the lending was not in the 30-year range but more like three to five and further until you know quite recently the fed was telling everybody that they would raise rates to somewhere between two and three percent and then they would stop now of course that wasn't law and it was always caveated with being data dependent and it was predicated at least in a major degree on uh, inflation being more transitory than the fed thought but you know nonetheless these were pronouncements from a government source that probably at least has the power to do as they say i think one of the things that events should demonstrate and make clear is the fed has very blunt instruments both in terms of maintaining employment but but in particularly in controlling inflation the fed in setting short-term interest rates primarily affects asset prices and this in turn primarily affects wealthy people and wealthy individuals in the short term until in fact it becomes severe enough that it breaks the financial system and impairs all lending activity as was kind of the 
metaphor for the Greenspan of the uh, maestro hagiography, the deification of Alan Greenspan, the notion that they can move the dials a little bit and steer the economy exactly as they want it. The Fed has very blunt instruments and they can shatter the economy and they can move policy incrementally, but it's not the case that incremental moves in policy have incremental effects on the economy and therefore everything can be smoothed out. As we've sort of witnessed, it's more realistic to think that incremental moves have almost no effect until there's a tipping point and something breaks. I think from a policy perspective, deposit insurance should be increased to an amount that covers the transactional deposits of medium-sized, say, $100 million revenue businesses, whatever that number is. There should, it won't happen, but politicians of the left and of the right need to not stoke anger, concerns, etc., over a notion that uh, maintaining the payment system is a bailout to bankers and a gift to Wall Street. It's just not. The economy needs a functioning payment system. Uh, Bitcoin is not a functioning payment system. It's very, very likely that the payment system will run through banks. And so this is a simple matter of basic infrastructure. The extremely rapid rise in short-term interest rates, which should emphatically be paused now, but the dramatic rise in short-term interest rates coupled with the concerns about the banking system will materially slow the economy so that, you know, I was never in the recession camp, but now I do think we will have a mild recession. It slows the economy because credit conditions are manifestly tighter. A year ago, 18 months ago, banks were asking, where can I get loan demand? Who can I lend money to? How can I make money? How can I get people to borrow money at a spread that's profitable to me and saying I can afford to take a little bit of credit risk and I can afford to take a little bit of duration risk. It was one loan generation, loan generation, loan generation. How do I get demand for money in which I can profitably deploy the money that's been created and put on our balance sheets? And in order of concern, second probably would have been duration and a distant, distant third would be liquidity. You know, do I have to be concerned about being able to meet the demand deposits that might be withdrawn? Across more or less every bank, those concerns have been flipped. Number one, is my liquidity okay? What do I need to do to ensure my liquidity? What do I absolutely need to avoid doing to not create a liquidity problem? Front of mind for 
every bank in the country is liquidity, liquidity, liquidity. Second is duration risk. If I'm going to make new loans, I have to make sure that I've matched funded it. I don't want duration risk in either direction. You know, if, if the Fed cuts to two, I don't want to be losing money, or if the ORF rates go to six or seven, I don't want to be losing money. I want to absolutely match the duration of my incremental assets and liabilities. And third, as a bank, I, we, slash the industry will say we don't want to take any incremental credit risk. So it's been reversed, which means that banks really don't want to make more loans right now. They will to good customers, but they will be looking to do it with match duration, no credit risk, and a nice spread. So it is a virtual certainty for a meaningful period of time, this will be the case and borrowing and lending activity declines meaningfully from the pre-Silicon Valley Bank days. Activity was declining before this mini crisis, which is to say the amount of borrowing and lending activity was declining before this crisis. And that will have been dramatically accelerated. One of the things that I'm not particularly sanguine about is, you know, I've said that the Fed doesn't really have the instruments to fight inflation. I've said previously, I think inflation is almost and always predominantly a supply side problem, and the Fed's tools for that are limited to non-existence. The legislative and executive branches of government actually have some supply-side tools, as it were, but it's truly Pollyanna-ish to suggest that there's any meaningful probability that those branches of government can come together and uh, actually do things that are helpful. The reason for not despairing is the economy of the West generally is in fact remarkably resilient. If the Fed pauses here, I would have every reason to believe that the economy does okay. And I think it's a dangerous notion to think that the Fed has control or the ability to single-handedly achieve its dual mandate of full employment and price stability. If inflation is in fact worse than would be my guess and not moderating, it is incumbent on the fiscal side, the government side, the legislative and executive side to take supply-side oriented actions, to do things in its power to increase supply. There was recently, a few nights ago, uh, I watched a frontline special on banking the financial system, and Neil Kashkiri, the president of my local Fed, the Minneapolis Fed, 
was interviewed somewhat extensively. And I wrote in a recent investor letter that I had thought that Powell was pretty smart given that they're breaking things. I downgraded him to not so smart with further uh, watch to possibly be downgraded again to idiot. Listening to Cash Carey, I think he's less than not so smart. And I think in particular, he said, raising interest rates, raises mortgage rates, increases the costs of owning a home at any given price. Therefore, you know, lowers the demand for houses and that should lower rents. I consider that line of reasoning extraordinarily short-sighted and in fact stupid. If you want to lower the cost of housing, you have to build more houses or decrease the population. And um, raising interest rates is counterproductive to the goal of building more houses. So housing is um, 30% of the CPI in any intermediate term view, raising interest rates will diminish the supply of housing. It will raise the cost of housing. It's distressing that a member of the Federal Reserve Board would suggest otherwise. I've talked before about how the various pressures on the economy are not likely to result in wholesale contagion and a spiral into a financial crisis. I continue to believe that, and again, because the chain of events is impair asset prices, impair them to the extent that you impair credit in the financial system and start a negative feedback loop. At this point, to my way of thinking, that cascade has not yet reached a tipping point and there's no reason why it should. The banking system is not yet impaired by the decline, fatally impaired. It's weaker, but it's not insolvent. So therefore, if one uh, stops the policy increase of interest rate, one stops the direct effect on asset prices, the cascade is broken before credit and the credit system is impaired to the point of breaking. The next few weeks certainly rate to be interesting. It's in the next few weeks that I would expect that clarity is brought to the question of whether there will be a cascade of uh, asset prices, credit, the real economy. You know, as of today, I continue to think that's by far the most likely option. As always, I welcome questions and comments. Thank you for listening to Ask Andy. If you would like to submit a question, please email askandypodcast at gmail.com. Ask Andy is sponsored by Park State Bank. 
visit www.parkstatebank.com for all your banking needs.